0: Gentlemen, may I have your attention. Hello and welcome to another episode of Radio Teco. My name is Monty Rossetti, and I'm here with Alexis Terrazas, the editor-in-chief of El Tecolote and Alexis. How are you doing today?:
1: I'm doing as well as I can, Monty, you know, um, blessed that my family has health. Um, shelter, you know, grateful for the things that I know a lot of members in of our community maybe don't have, you know, um, and just trying to just figure out how to make this world, you know, better for when my kids inherit it. That's how I'm doing.
0: Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, Alexis. Um, Yeah, so in this episode, we're talking to someone that I think might help us come together uh, our guest is someone who is part of the Asian, Latinx, and Chumash community. Uh, Alexis, can you tell us a little bit about who we're talking to today? Yeah,
1: we're going to be talking to uh, Gabriela Frenes, um, who is a recent graduate of, uh, of UC Berkeley. Uh, she's a journalist. She is uh, a person who is of Mexican, Japanese, and Chumash um, ancestry, you know, and being that she clearly you know and I guess how do I say this Monty you know the the events of um of Atlanta where eight people were were killed six of them being Asian women you know and and you and I were were talking even before that those that tragic mass shooting that was carried out by really what I mean I don't know how else you can call this person and I don't want to Waste energy on on that person's name, but essentially a a, a white terrorist with a with a gun. Um, you know, you and I were, were talking about, hey, we need to do an episode on the this new wave of of anti Asian uh, violence, you know, um, that's being committed against our our our, our, our Asian relatives, and. And I guess like after the events of Atlanta, it just felt so much more uh, pressing, you know, and and Gabriela being, as I mentioned, of Mexican and, and Japanese and Chumash identity or, you know, uh, ancestry and being a journalist, um, you know, she's currently a, a newscast intern at KQED, you know, uh, just graduated, you know, from, from UC Berkeley, as I mentioned, I felt like it was really important to to really allow her the platform to to say whatever she wanted to say and to you know maybe tell her own family story because i feel like it's a it's a very interesting one and i really feel that the only way we can you know finally d- dismantle the these systems that continue to perpetuate violence against our communities is by doing it together And by sharing stories that maybe our greater communities are unfamiliar with, you know, Um, unity is a word that oftentimes gets clowned on, you know, for being kind of corny and whatnot. But I really don't see any other way forward than for all of our communities who are bound by, you know, historic injustice to really come together and, and to uplift one another.
0: Yeah, Alexis, I completely agree with you. Um, I mean, we all just need to do a little bit more listening and myself included um, so that we can understand what everyone's going through. Uh, one of the promises of this podcast is to help fight the status quo and uplift the stories of the voiceless um, and and this is uh, an example that we have today. So with that said, let's uh, let's listen to this interview.
1: Gabriela, um, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for for joining us on this uh, this you know episode of Radio Thank
2: you for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited to to be able to speak with you, um, you know, fellow journalist, you know, who is applying their craft here in the Bay. Uh, but real quick before we get started, I just want to ask, you know, how do you um, how do you identify?
2: Yeah, um, so I'm third generation Mexican American, and I have Japanese and Chumash ancestry. So. That's basically how I identify.
1: Thank you for that. And, you know, I want to, so before you and I kind of hopped on here, you know, you kind of mentioned a little bit about your your family history, you know, and obviously we're, we're here today, you know, we've been planning this episode because of the, you know, latest increase of of, of of violence against our Asian communities. And your story is one that's really interesting, which is why we wanted to kind of invite you on and, and speak about that. But um. We'd love to hear, or our listeners would love to hear a little bit about your, your, your family history uh, here in the States.
2: Yeah, so it's definitely very interesting. Um, growing up, I was like, wow, this is like a crazy story to know. But on my dad's side, uh, my grandma, she was born in 1918. And so when she was around my age, um, it was, she was growing up during World War II in her early 20s and living in Los Angeles. And she, her father was Japanese um, from southern Japan. And then her mother was from Zacatecas, Mexico, and they migrated to Texas. And then they eventually went to Los Angeles where they where she was born. Um, And she has two other siblings as well. And I mean, growing up during this time, being half Japanese, I can't imagine, you know, how much fear that was for her and her grandmother or her mother actually passed away during the 1918 Spanish flu. And so she never really knew her and she didn't have a great relationship with her father, her Japanese father as well. And so she um, was raised by her grandparents in Los Angeles. And so she didn't really have a connection with her Japanese heritage. But, you know, because of the way she looked, she's half Asian and she has a Japanese last name. You know, people knew that she was Japanese. And during this time, that's, that's a lot of fear to go through. And so in order to be or to not be interned at the camps, she changed her last name from Kitagawa to her Hispanic uh, last name that her grandparents had. And during this time, she was also working in textile factories. And she went on to be like an amazing seamstress. And because she was so talented, people did threaten to like turn her in because they knew that she was half Japanese. But because she was so good at what she was doing, her like the boss person, I guess, like decided not to turn her in. Um, So that in itself, like, was amazing to hear about growing up. But I knew never to ask questions, because it was such a traumatic experience, and no one really brought it up. Um, My father and my Thea's on that side, all have very, like, distinct memories of their grandfather coming in and out every now and then, and he would always have Japanese food and, like, reading a big Japanese newspaper, they said. But that's the only memories that they really had. And growing up, I mean, I look a lot like my grandmother at her services when she passed away. I had so many people come up to me and say like, you look just like Lucy, that's her name. Um, And I mean, I was like 15 at the time. And when I was a kid, my family members, especially my mom's side who doesn't have Asian ancestry they would really make comments like, oh, Chinita. Um, And at the time I didn't really understand what it meant. Uh, But then growing up, I was like, oh, they're like kind of like singling out my Asian features. And then going on into high school, people would ask me like, oh, what are you? Because I mean, I do look racially ambiguous. I also have Native American ancestry, like I said. Um, And also not knowing Spanish fluently either. A lot of my uh, Mexican American peers or Latinx peers in high school didn't really categorize me as Mexican or Latina. And so that's kind of when, like, this quote unquote identity crisis for me happened. <laughs> um, because I look more, mostly Asian, people don't really think that um, Latinx people can be Asian, which is, you know, completely not true. But because I never really saw anyone else that looked like me in our community, I thought I was kind of like the only one. And unfortunately, this kind of made me um, not really be confident enough to claim that I'm Mexican American or that I'm part of the Latinx community. Um, But in a way it also made me question my family history um, and really look into where we came from and want to do the research about our Japanese ancestry um, and also our kind of diluting connection with our Mexican background as being third generation in the States.
1: I'm curious. That's an amazing story.
2: It's a lot. <laughs>
1: by the way, thank, thank you for sharing you. that. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's, uh, yeah. Um, have you done research into, um, you know, your, your Japanese ancestry? Um, yeah. And what have, what have you found?
2: Yeah, so I've done a little bit. Um, we did find out that my grandfather was actually interned in Denver. Um, and I have, some of my dad's cousins actually went over the summer, I believe to go visit it and they had paperwork where it showed his name and like the date that he was entered and everything, which was crazy. Um, and then four years ago, my dad and I planned uh, a trip. We saved up money to go to Japan and we visited uh, the Southern part, Suzuka. That's where my family's from. And we were able to connect with a few rel- like distant relatives there, which was insane. And I'm learning Japanese right now. And I was back then. So I was able to communicate a little bit But definitely, it's something that I really want to continue to improve on. But we were able to see my grandfather's gravesite, which was insane to see. It was really like a confirming moment of my identity in that time. Um, And definitely, I still plan to go back to Japan and maybe live there for a bit. Um, I was actually supposed to go study abroad last year um, in Japan, but COVID hit. So, unfortunately, that didn't happen. But I still want to make that a plan for myself just to continue to really. dive into that part of my family and con- connect more with my jam- japanese ancestry and heritage
1: you said your um your grandfather and some of your father's cousins were interned in in denver do you know the was it um a, a ma- a Machi? was it a was it amachi colorado or was it another another camp
2: i think it might have been that one i don't remember the name exactly but it wasn't denver colorado
1: yeah. Um, and I, I asked because like a, a few years ago, I interviewed somebody who was actually um, born in in one of the internment wow. camps. And, um, you know, it was I was really grateful that this, this gentleman was able to like open up and trust me with, you know, sharing his story. Um, you touched on something in, you know, and earlier on about how you were maybe you felt like disconnected from your like uh, your latinx you know heritage or, or community and it wasn't until fairly recently one of um our community contributors actually who is um you know let's see she's a japanese latin american right you know you talk about how or you you spoke about a little bit um about how there isn't like an acknowledgement of, of, of Asian folks in, in Latin America or Asian Latinos, right? And and this person, um, you know, wrote this story about, you know, making a pilgrimage to, I think it's Crystal City, Texas, where there were uh, Japanese Latin Americans, people who were basically kidnapped from Latin America who had Japanese ancestry and were brought and in, interned into the United States. Um, I wanna talk, ask you a little bit about, because. We're having this conversation now in this country about like erasures, right? And when you look at like the greater umbrella of Latinidad, for example, you know a lot of groups tend to be erased, right? We've we've seen that with Afro Latinos, we've seen that with Indigenous people, uh, but we really haven't, in my opinion, haven't explored that with with Asian folks, right? Uh, Asian Latinos. So, what um you know that's something what I wanted to ask you about. What's your perception or, you know, about you know maybe the term Latino not being inclusive or, you know, uh, recognizing, you know, the the diversity, especially, you know, the presence of our of our Asian communities here.
2: I think it all comes down to people really thinking that people within the Latinx community look a certain way, right? Um, They think that maybe they're like browner. I mean, in my experience growing up and where I grew up at, in San Diego it was mainly Mexican American folks or people that have Latinx backgrounds and white folks there weren't too many there wasn't a huge like afro population at my school nor Asian as well and so because a lot of my peers that were Mexican American or Latinx identifying they I mean none of them were Asian they all looked like I mean what you would think is like stereotypical like Latino Latina And so when they saw me, like they would just categorize me as Asian. But my upbringing was mainly Mexican-American and also being third generation. um, I mean, my parents grew up during a time where it was kind of frowned upon to speak Spanish. And so they assimilated and they didn't really pass that on to me. So having both like the language as a gatekeeper and also the way you look as a gatekeeper. I was like, okay, so am I not Latina? Like, what am I? Like, I was super confused at the time. Um, but fast forward to college, I started meeting people that were also um like my one of my best friends is Japanese Mexican. And he was the first person that I ever met that was also Japanese Mexican, and it was honestly one of the most confirming experiences like I've ever had. I was like, wait, you mean there's more of us out there? Like I was super confused and like it was a mind-blowing moment. Um, but I think because of what we see maybe in mainstream media, um, or maybe with even within our own communities. That kind of has us like on this perception of what we think Latinidad is, or like what the Latinx community is. But it's so much bigger than that. I mean, even when I went to um, college in Berkeley, I didn't really know that there were a lot of like white white passing Latinx folks as well. So that was another huge like culture shock for me. Um, I felt like I was really sheltered in what I thought the Latinx community is because of where I grew up, but. I think the more representation that we see out there, the more conversations like this that we have, other people that maybe are younger that are feeling the same way will think like, okay, like I'm not alone. There's other people within my community that have these shared experiences. But unfortunately, like, you know, a few years ago, even a year ago, people weren't having these conversations. So...
1: I do want to switch gears a little bit um you know to the uh, to the awful events the the mass shooting that occurred in in Atlanta um you know where the majority of people who died were Asian women and you know Asian women were were targeted you know by by white gunmen you know uh, young white cis male gunmen. and you're a journalist um and I wanted to ask you, as you know, as a, as a woman of color, as as somebody who of Mexican American who is Mexican American with Japanese ancestry, you know, what was your opinion on the uh, the coverage, the mainstream media coverage that immediately after that that shooting?
2: Well, I've definitely seen a lot on like Twitter and my other social media feeds that people were definitely calling out um, reporters for not instantly labeling it as a hate crime, and I mean we see this time and time again with acts of like racist violence like this where the media is reluctant to label it as hate crimes and um i know that also when poc reporters want to report on issues that maybe they're quote unquote too close to or they have like a relationship to the community that they're going to report on it can be seen as maybe biased also and i've seen that argument going around as well um but i honestly don't agree with it um especially as a uh women of color journalists as well. Um, I think that to be a good journalist is to come from like an empathetic um, standpoint as well, not just to be like unbiased, quote unquote. Um, But something that journalists of color have over say like white reporters is a connection to their communities. And so they're able to have like a better angle and a better take on um, important issues like this one. And I think that maybe if more Asian journalists were able to report on um, these hate crimes that are going on, they would be able to instantly say like, these are hate crimes and point out like what's happening with white terrorism in this country. Um, And it's an important stance to make. We can't just tiptoe around it anymore. Uh, We have to call it out for what it is, which I think is important to make change with what's happening and everything. Um, But yeah, I just hope in the future that, you know, reporters of color aren't, continually having to make this argument, like, no, I'm not too close to this issue. Like, yeah, this is a community that I care about, but I can be like an effective journalist and also come from an empathetic stance and make change with my work. And I think that's what a lot of journalists of color want to do. I mean, that's what I want to do as a journalist, too. As a up and coming journalist, I just entered the industry and I'm learning a lot. But a huge reason as to why I want to be in journalism is to talk about, for instance, like identity issues because that's what I grew up with, and it's something that I want to do more research in. Um, but yeah, I think I mean obviously, reporters of color are super important in this industry, and we need more of it.
1: I'm so delighted that you decided to make this your uh, your profession. <laughs> you know, um, I, I say this completely, you know, uh, when you know, really honestly, and um, and sincerely that you know we need more more journalists like yourself. You know, in this industry, to cover these different stories, to offer this diff- these different perspectives, you know, that oftentimes just go un unrecognised in in mainstream newsrooms. Um, so, thank you, Gabriela, for for choosing this uh, <laughs> for-, for choosing journalism. Um, I-, I have a few more questions before we uh, before we wrap up. And um, you know, one of them. I mean, we we know, like, I think a lot of us. I mean, p- people, I guess, in our circles, right, um, are well aware of the the legacy of violence that has existed not only like in all of our communities but here specifically like asian communities when you look at the page act you know the chinese exclusion act of course uh, uh, executive order 9066 the you know the, which you know set in motion the incarceration of japanese and japanese americans in this country um you know i, I heard a politician the other day say that the attacks were like very you know un-american and I've been hearing more and more people in our in my circle say like, no, actually it's this violence is woven into the fabric of our society, you know, the, the founding of it. Um, you know, so I, I guess I want to lead in, sorry about that. I, I want to lead in and say, or and ask, you know, where I think a lot of us are well aware of the, uh, you know, you know, wh- whatever we want to call it, like, you know, the white supremacist violence that continues to affect our communities. But I do want to, Ask you about something that you mentioned earlier. When you were growing up, you had some of your Mexican cousins call you, you know, chinita. You know, um, and I, as, as somebody who's Mexican American, I'm definitely well aware of um, of the uh, of, of the racism that exists in Latin America towards other groups, you know, uh, Asian folks included. You know, what uh, what can we do to, you know, to I don't know dismantle, you know, uh, you know this these racist structures within our own society, not just here in the United States, but here in our own households and our own homelands, back, you know, in Latin America, you know, and uh, I know that's a complicated question, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on that.
2: Um, I think definitely being open to like having conversations like this and especially with family members and older family members. I mean, if you hear someone maybe say like a comment that can be seen as like racist or making someone uncomfortable with like the way that they look, for example, Um, just, you know, coming from a good place, educating them on like why that's not okay to say or do. And also just talking about how, you know, the Latinx community is not a monolith. Um, there's different of all types of races that are Latino or Latina. Um, so I think it really does come down to having these conversations. And I mean, I've definitely tried to open these conversations with my family members that aren't so, um, I guess you could say progressive as I am. I mean, I think a lot of us, unfortunately, have had to deal with um, Latinx family members that you know have voted for Trump or say rhetoric that comes from him. Um, my dad, for example, um, he uses China flu a lot to call the COVID nineteen you know the pandemic you know because he's he's a disbeliever in it. But I've definitely tried to have that conversation with like, hey, you can't say that because this rhetoric is what is causing um, the anti-Asian violence that's happening in the US. And definitely when people say, this is not us, this is un-American, I kind of just roll my eyes at those comments because like we said, if you look at history and like the policies that we've enacted in this country, it totally is American. Like this is who we are, this is our history. But in order to move past that, we have to be open to having these conversations of like, okay, this is what's happening this is who we are, this is in our culture, but how can we progressively move on from this? You know, um, definitely I think education is always the factor of it, the foundation.
1: Thank you for that, um, Gabriela. And um, I always like to kind of give an opportunity, like a last kind of opportunity. I'm, I'm pretty much done with my questions, but I did want to um, kind of provide, you know, one last moment for you to, you know, if there's something that I might've missed that you want to say, Um, you know, anything kind of parting thoughts for, for our listeners might be a story that you're working on. It might be something else, you know, but, uh, please, is there, is there anything else that you'd like to uh, to add to to this conversation?
2: Yeah. So I just want to, um, emphasize that unpacking multi-generational trauma is completely difficult work to do. And the violence and racism that we're seeing now against the Asian community is obviously nothing new to this country but it's these same acts and also historical policies that we've seen in the past that completely deepen generational trauma. And it also has the power to disconnect an entire generation from their ethnic or racial identity, which, I mean, I've talked about it with the Japanese American communities during World War II, what my grandma experienced. Um, And then also Latinx immigrants feeling shameful for speaking Spanish and not passing that, that down to their kids. And same with indigenous communities that we see. And it can be, a really lonely feeling having to redefine and reconnect with your identity, especially when people are telling you, oh, because you don't look like this or because you're not X, Y, Z, you shouldn't be able to use this label. And it can be super confusing, especially if you're growing up with those comments. But doing this work and unpacking all of that baggage can also be super rewarding and bring peace. And I mean, I'm on my own journey doing that and while I haven't found complete confidence in all aspects of my identity, it's really like just a progress, it's a huge journey. And I found that having open dialogue and speaking to people that want to listen to my story um, really helps out. And I think that if we want to continue to stop erasing these voices that we never really hear from within the Latinx community, We have to be able to have these uncomfortable conversations, honor diversity and our differences. So if anyone out there is like on their own journey, reconnecting with who they are, just know that it's normal to feel lost and second guess yourself. But it's important work to do. So just keep going. Keep doing what you're doing.
1: Awesome. Well, I will say this, that I very much look forward to seeing your byline um, <laughs> and uh, in anticipation for those stories, because uh, I really feel like those are stories that need to be told here. And uh, I don't know if you know much about our publication, but we've always strived to be this platform uh, that gives voice to those who, you know, oftentimes don't have one in mainstream media circles. So so I look forward to seeing your, your work uh, down the line. And Gabriela Frenes, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me. It was a great conversation and I can't wait to listen to it once it's done.